you never knew. That was his power. Was his power. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Back now and here we go again. Spread the words, we the shorty, tell a friend. The game changed, but I'm here to break a 10. The boys play, but I'm here to make amends. Real talk. Welcome back to the Relatively Speaking Podcast. You are listening to episode 124, being recorded on Wednesday night, December 13th. I am your host, Jared Mintz. And after talking about the Cleveland Cavaliers unsurprisingly slash surprisingly taking over the Eastern Conference last week, I wanted to talk about the top of the West this week and a couple of teams in Texas who are giving the Warriors a real run for their money. After slight deliberation, I came to the conclusion that there was no one better to help me do this than a specific basketball writer who has been referred to as the president of the James Harden fan club. You could find his write- you could find his writing on a ton of awesome sites including FanRag Sports, Bleacher Report, Dime Up Rocks, and B-Ball Breakdown. Joining me today is Kelly Scaletta. Kelly, how's it going? Great. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, the NBA is kind of getting a little bit more exciting. I think a lot of us entered this season thinking, you know, it's going to be another two-team race, and the Warriors are still doing Warriors things. But out West, it looks like they have some competition. And in the Eastern Conference, I mean... Cleveland looked looked dead until a few weeks ago, so basketball's exciting, and as I was saying to you before we started recording, I love talking about it with some of my favorite Twitter people actually, you know, over the phone and really getting to talk about this, so I'm pumped to talk about some basketball. How's it going by you? Oh, I'm enjoying this season. I I think it's great to some just fantastic basketball being played. For sure, for sure we are. So we're going to get into that in a minute. I sent you over a rundown. What I like to do before we get into the sports is do five random rapid-fire questions just to get my listenership a little more familiar with the guest I'm having on the podcast. You didn't give me a hard time about it in the rundown. You still up for some rapid-fire questions, Kelly? Shoot me. All right, here we go. Number one, off the top of your head, what is your favorite sideline moment in sports history? What's his name proposing the kicking net? (laughs) <laughs> Odell Beckham proposing to the kicking net this season? Yes. I don't think we'll ever see that again. That's really funny. So I, w- I was walking home from work and thinking of good questions to ask you, and I don't know why, but it just popped in my head. Also football, a couple years ago, the the Ravens were playing the Bengals, and Steve Smith just went off talking about all the Bengals cornerbacks, calling them all trash, and uh, I could curse on my podcast. He called them fuckboys. He was saying, this person, 24, trash, 31, Fuck boy, that that was my favorite moment. I I digress. <laughs> Question number two, Kelly. What is your Mount Rushmore of favorite movies? My Mount Rushmore of favorite movies. Okay, these are my favorite movies. I do not claim to have any particular taste in movies. Uh, one of them has to be Highlander. Highlander, just all time awesome movie. You can watch over and over again. There can be only one. Soundtrack rocks. Story's great. After that, all the other Highlander movies are stupid and they suck and they ruin the whole premise of the first movie. Did you like the show? Just to follow up, did you like the Highlander show? No, because it's still fun. The, the dude, the, the, the original Highlander dies on the season premiere of the of this show, so that was stupid too. <laughs> like I, I just like no, no, you it, 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 you just can't do that. It's like having a Star Wars show and Luke is not Darth Vader's son or something. I mean, you just, you can't do that. 
But uh, speaking of that, the original, the 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 Star Trek Four, the New Hope, that one's got to be on the list. Uh, okay, let's go with a comedy. Okay, comedy, Airplane, greatest comedy ever. And uh, let's go with a movie that makes you cry. Uh, what is a movie that just Ah, you know what, Schindler's List. Great movie, very good movie, definitely makes you cry. I wasn't sure where you were going with that, if you're thinking like Marley and Me or The Notebook or something, but Schindler's List is a little bit more moving, I think. Yeah, I, that had real resonating power with me. That's, kind of, that's the kind of movie you go home and you don't stop thinking about for a couple of days. Indeed, indeed. All right, we are, we are serious. Let's get a little less serious. Question number three. I mean, this could be serious, too. If you could take over anyone's Twitter account for one day, besides Donald Trump, who would it be? Oh, well, you just killed the best answer right there. <laughs> if I, okay, so if I could take over anyone's Twitter account for one day, who would it be? Uh, I'd take over Zach Lowe's just so I can tell everybody to follow me. <laughs> so, the real me. You know, I'd just be like, oh, Kelly's great. You should read his articles. And then I'd get all these new followers. That's about as good of an endorsement as you can get in uh, the basketball Twitter world. So that that is actually a great call. Zach's the undisputed best, right? There's no one better than Zach? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's the Golden State Warriors of basketball writing. Awesome. Question number four. Kelly, what is your most controversial food take? My most controversial food take. This is one I can guarantee you have never heard this answer before. Uh, there is a dish they make in Louisiana. My mom used to make it. It's a little appetizer that's just outright delicious. And when I tell you what it is, you're just going to be like, that sounds so disgusting. It's a pineapple ring with a dollop of mayonnaise and cheddar cheese. I don't know what to say. And it is absolutely delicious. The mayonnaise neutralizes the acid in the pineapple. And then the cheese brings out the sweetness of the pineapple, and you eat it, and you're just like, whoa, this is so much better than I thought it would be. Like, you look at it, and you're like, this is disgusting. And then you eat it, and you're like, this is delicious. That sounds amazing. I mean, those are those are two food buzzwords, pineapple and mayonnaise. And che- cheese makes everything better, so I, I could potentially see the validity. I'm not going to say I'm going to try it, but if we ever hang out and you introduce it to me... I might, Kelly. I, I might. Wow, that's ever in Texas, man. I'll make you some brisket, and I'll I'll I'll, I'll serve that as an appetite. I mean, if it's coming with brisket, I'll I'll eat whatever it is that you're serving. Awesome, Kelly. Our last question before we get into basketball. No restrictions on this one. Complete the sentence. Blank is the devil. Donald Trump. I don't think an elaboration is needed. <laughs> Let's get into basketball. So yeah, you and I kind of share that view, and that was why I. Uh, phrased the the Twitter question the way I did but uh, I had had a feeling that might I had a feeling that might come back around the way it did good stuff today's a good day to be an American for the first time in a while let's let's not get too political Kelly I got a I got a big question for you it's a little bit of a scorcher are the Rockets the Houston Rockets the best team in the NBA this season I would say this is this is really they're they're like one A and one B with the Golden State Warriors, um, especially with uh, Chris Paul back in the lineup. 
they have been incredibly good with Chris Paul and James Harden. Like, insanely good. Like, even people like me that were optimistic about how well Paul and Harden could fit together and saying you're stupid to think that they couldn't fit together. Like, I was as much of an advocate as, for them as I anybody. And even I'm blown away by how, how well they're, they're playing. I was looking at this today. They're, they're averaging, between the two of them, uh, averaging 93.4 points per game that they're generating, passing or assisting between the two of them. And if you account for they've they've assisted each other on about 44 points. If you take that out, the 11 games they've played, they're averaging 89.7 points per game. That just between the two of them are generating. So you think about that. You have two players generating basically 90 points a game. Uh, that means everybody else if has to generate what 10, 15, 20. The, the other everybody else on your roster. Like, when you have two players generating 90 points per game, you're going to win a lot of games. And I looked through history. I could not find anybody else like uh, Will Chamberlain and uh, Paul Aiden. They, they, they averaged, like, 83. There was a, a, a Stockton Malone season where they averaged around 82. Uh, Pippen and Jordan, their best season was uh, right around 68. Uh, LeBron and Wade in 2011, they were around 72. I, I looked at like all the the, the Kobe and, and Shaq, they never topped 70. Like I I looked at every single elite tandem you could think of, and none of them came close to that. They're averaging 10 points more than anybody in history that I can find. I'm not saying, and you know, and then obviously, you know, like, like the, the Stockton, the Malone, I'm pretty sure some of those Malone buckets were Stockton assists, but you can't, you can't track that because the box score data isn't there for that. Right. So, I mean, it, it is just phenomenal. Like you think about that 90 points a game, Jared, from two dudes. Like, that is phenomenal. And then what's even more phenomenal, when they're shooting or passing, the Rockets are shooting a true shooting percentage of 67% on their shots and passes and scoring 90 points a game. Like, that's just freakishly impossibly good. That's even better than the Warriors are. But the Warriors have a little more depth. But in terms of a one-two punch... And just in terms of points produced and the volume, there's no one that even comes close to that. And then they have a top five defense side. So, yeah, I'd say the Rockets are right there with the Warriors. And then, and and when I say that, the Warriors are one of the best teams, if not the best team in NBA history. the The Rockets are not just one of the best teams this season. They are also at this point one of the best teams for the Western Conference Finals. <laughs> I know, right? And we're talking about mid mid December, and we're still already really excited to to see that all play out. It's just incredible, too. I mean, we're talking about Chris Paul having played in eleven games so far at the time we're recording this. I mean, they play tonight, but we're talking about such a small sample, and it's this is already like beyond greatness. 
we're we're not even worrying about you know them having to work through learning how to play together. I don't know if they really learned a lot from each other over the summer playing pickup, playing Drew League, but these guys they look really good together. And even if they don't look good, which they do, the numbers are just completely off the charts. I hope people understand you know some of the stats that you gave, not just in reference to to them compiling more points together than some of your all time great duos, but that true shooting percentage number is out of control. And I mean, we're talking about nearly 90 points a game. That's, you just, like, a team like like the Knicks will, will struggle to get that. And you have two guys who essentially are playing the same position, the same role, who are combining to do this for a team in an era with the Golden State Warriors. And, you know, it's, it's, it's big enough that you're saying 1A, 1B with these two teams where the Warriors could be the greatest team of all time. Again, it's it's December. We can't get too excited. We have to see it play out a little bit longer. But the fact that this team, with plenty of new additions on it, and with Chris Paul missing half of the games already, that they're already this good. I mean, it's it's just it's mind boggling. The defense being better is something we'll talk about again in a minute. But to talk a little bit more about about James Harden and Chris Paul and what you've seen from them playing together. Unfortunately, I, I haven't really gotten to watch the Rockets much, especially not with Chris Paul healthy. What are they doing together on the court that, you know, maybe we were worried they wouldn't be able to do together? How are they making it work with one basketball being two great distributors who are also two very effective scorers? You know, um, before the season started, I actually I got a chance to interview Mike D'Antoni about this whole situation. And he said, I asked him, you know, who who is going to be the dude? Who's going to be the guy? And he said, whoever has the ball. Uh, whoever has the ball, that's going to be my ball dominant point guard. And really, that's been the key to everything. Is uh, one, they're not they're not always playing together. They're only averaging about twenty minutes a game where they're both on the court at the same time. And one of the things that is really making them so productive is that there's always one of them on the court. And it's just, it's this, this persistent uh, eroding of the other team's defense and will. Because there's just, I mean, you, you think about it, there's always a Hall of Fame caliber court uh, point guard on the, on the court. Always this guy that is capable of just dominating a game, just beating and beating and beating on the defense. So the second, the third, the fourth quarter, when, when the fourth quarter even matters, which a lot of times it doesn't for the Rockets. But by the time the fourth quarter comes around, even if the Rockets are losing, that, that persistence of just always having to defend against Harden or Paul starts to wear on the will of the defense. And then by the time the fourth quarter comes around, the, the, the Rockets just roll their opponent. You know, like the last two games they were down in the fourth quarter, they had these monster comebacks and won by five and seven points even though they were down by double digits in the fourth quarter, because just that, that steadiness. So, uh, you know, a lot of it is people were so worried about what are we going to do with both of them on the court at the same time and kind of missing the whole, one of them is going to be on the court all the time, which that's sort of the greater value you have. And the second thing is uh, that, that he mentioned is they want to play together. Uh, Chris Paul initiated this trade. James Harden and, and Chris Paul, they hit it off when they were Olympic teammates. They liked each other. They wanted to play together. Um, 
And if you have two guys that are just reluctantly playing together or kind of pushed together, I think a nice contrast here is even like the Oklahoma City Thunder, where you, you, you just you don't have the same sort of playing style uh, that's complementary to playing with other ball-dominant players. And you know, it, it's more like Paul George kind of got traded there out of nowhere. Carl, Carmelo Anthony, he waived his no-trade clause. But these guys didn't really, you know, like they didn't make this trade happen. They kind of went along with it. And I think that makes a difference, too. Uh, you're a lot more willing to sacrifice touches and uh, stats when you're the one that pushed for it to happen. So Chris Paul has his his numbers have been a little nerve. James Harden's not so much, but you know Chris Paul's the one that wanted this trade. He's the one that asked for this trade, so he's willing to let some of his scoring numbers go down a little bit. Uh, that 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 makes a big difference too. So the third thing that that people need to keep in mind is they're both really good shooters. Uh, and 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 it's a lot of times we conflate in the NBA what players can do with what players have done. Um, and just because a player hasn't done something, it doesn't mean he can't do something. And the question we really have to ask is, is it in his skill set? And both Paul and Harden are established over their careers well over 40% from deep on catch-and-shoots. Uh, so this idea that neither one of them could play off the ball or that they wouldn't know what to do if they didn't, they didn't, uh, if they didn't have the ball in their hand all the time, you know, it's just kind of silly. Of course, there's a small adjustment period, but they have that in their, in their talent. They have that in their talent base. It's not like sticking, uh, Derek Rose on the Cleveland Cavaliers where all of a sudden you're asking him to do things that he sucks at all the time. So... Uh, you know, they're very good off the ball. They just don't play off the ball because when is the last time James Harden or Chris Paul played with anybody even close to the ball handling talent of James Harden or Chris Paul? Yeah, those are, those are amazing points. And it's, it's really funny that you bring up them being such similar. We're not similar shooters, but them both being really good shooters. I mean, just looking at the stat lines, James Harden takes about 10 more attempts per game, but they're both shooting around 46% from the field, both around 40% from three, even both around 46% from the free throw line. I mean, these are two guys that could score. And I think it's been so easy to, to paint this narrative that James Harden's a ball hog, which is just bananas to me the way he creates and facilitates for others around him. And Chris Paul, I mean, for the last 10 years, we're talking about maybe the best you know, facilitating point guard in the NBA. I wasn't sure that it was going to work as well as it has, but you know, a lot of the things you mentioned, I think, are, are definitely playing into this, where you have two guys that really wanted to make it work, really knew that they needed another player of each other's caliber if they wanted to take that next steps in their career. And I also think the roster around them is just really put together for them to succeed. And we're kind of seeing this perfect storm come together. At the same time, I mean, there's so much carryover from last season's Rockets team, which seemed like, you know, the team built to give to give Golden State the, the hardest time come playoff time. And now this year, you know, adding a Chris Paul, they they look like they are just a step better. But I really want to also, you know, stay here and focus on James Harden, who was my MVP last season, 
has been, you know, really great the last few years. And then you team him with Mike D'Antoni and it just further, you know, unleashes his potential as a, as a playmaker and a facilitator. This season, he's been even better than he was last season, which is just bonkers, just completely bonkers. Is James Harden the best player in the NBA today? I would, okay, you know, and this, this gets to be this whole thing with LeBron James, you know, where you go, okay, LeBron James has a gear that he does not engage in the regular season. And he's, he's maybe engaged it a little bit in the fourth quarter. Uh, LeBron James is capable of being the best player in the NBA, but he paces himself. Right. I would say that James Harden is having, far and away, the best season in the NBA. Um, and I, and I think one thing that like James Harden doesn't have the same level of defense as some of the other guys do, but his defensive real plus minus right now is a plus 0.04. He's like, uh, 24th out of point guards. Uh, so it's a slight, you know, you can more or less say he's not so much a minus defender now as a neutral defender to a very slightly above average defender. Which is better than he's been. You know, like for Harden, that's a huge step up. Sure. At least he's not a negative on defense. And, you know, the Rockets have the fifth-ranked defense in the league right now. And so you, you can have a great defense with him on the court, which I think is a maybe something people overlook when they talk about how important the, a player's defense is. And I, and I think that sometimes you just have to look at that. Can't. Can you have a great defensive team with that guy? And some guys, you just can't do it. They're so awful. It's like one time my dog ate his ate her own poop, and then she vomited up the poop. And that looks like Derrick Rose's defense. You know, like that, <laughs> that kind of defense you're just not going to succeed with. I don't care what else you have on the court. I'm glad. I'm glad this keeps coming back around to Derrick Rose being awful. Continue. I, I I don't know why. I don't know why. But anyway, hey, he's just. Can you think of an example of a better of a player that has worse defense there? I mean, I'm a Nick fan, so I see it plenty. We've had Jose Calderon at point guard, also, but uh, yeah, De- Derrick Rose is the golden standard for for bad defense, which is just also awful and displays how terrible Twitter is because you get people who get fooled by him still being relatively quick and being able to stay in front of guys. And then you watch, you know, you watch a screen or you watch, you know, his guy just lose him off the ball. And Derrick Rose have no idea that his guy is, you know, 20 feet on the other side of the court open for a corner three. I I digress. As a Bulls fan, I totally concur. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And I think that a lot of times the fans look too much at just on-ball defense and whether or not a guy can stop penetration. They think of that as the totality of defense. And then they go, they scream, eye test, eye test. And it's like, it's, you know, it's not about whether or not it's an eye test. <laughs> what is your eye qualified to see? But anyway, that's the digress. Um, James Harden's defense has been elevated to neutral. And the other thing is that maybe hasn't gotten as much attention is, is the Rockets replace. Uh, Ryan and our um, uh, Decker and uh, Harrell, Harrell with 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 Luke and Mute and PJ Tucker, and and Tucker and and Bob 
Imba and Mute. They're, they're like between the two of them. They're they're making like uh, I think Imba Mute is making the league minimum, yep. and Tucker's making like mid level exception money. Uh, if it's something close to that, I, I don't remember the exact contract. But neither one of them is making you know like money hand over fist. They're both incredible value contracts, and they're both capable of of playing the three or the four. They both are 40% on catch and shoots. They're both really exceptional defenders. And, and Mba Mute has shown a lot more ball handling talent than anybody ever knew he had in Los Angeles. Um, but he's still not like a primary ball, uh, shot creator for them. Now after Paul and Harden, you have Gordon is the next guy on the totem pole. Um, but they're shooters, and that's what you need in Houston. And, and so it's a well-put-together roster. But the defensive side, you really can't overlook how much Mbata Mute and Tucker have, have brought to that because they, they're, 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 they're capable of playing pretty much guarding all five positions to some level. Both of them are. Um, both have, have played a little bit of small ball five when needed. They can both guard one, so they switch incredibly well. It's really hard to get a mismatch against Houston these days. Um, and I think that's really going to come in handy when they play the Warriors. And, you know, I know for a fact, and I think even Daryl Morey said this, that that was why they they got those two guys. Is they got those guys with Golden State in mind. They have these versatile wings that can match up with the Warriors small ball. So it's, you know, it, 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 they, they made some changes that they, they, they left a lot of the team together, but the changes they made were all upgrades. You know, Patrick Beverly, Chris, as good as he was, Chris Paul is an upgrade. Decker and Harrell, they upgraded to Tucker and Mbamute. So, and this was a team that had the third most wins in the league last season, but they, but they weren't all just upgrades. They were all upgrades where they needed help the most in terms of three or uh, in terms of defense, but they also helped where they were already the strongest, which is in three point shooting. So it's really, you got to give Maury a lot of credit. I mean, I, I have him as my GM of the year right now. Yeah. Those are really great points. I mean, we're talking about, you know, Houston having to have traded six players or was it seven players for Chris Paul. And, you know, sure, some of them were younger guys, but these are all guys who, for the most part, played a role on last season's team. And again, we're talking about a team that was very good last season. I don't know how deep they are. I mean, I agree with the points that you're making that, you know, adding Pamute, adding P.J. Tucker, just great pickups for this team in terms of being able to offer, you know, defensive diversity while also being able to knock down open threes. I mean, Pamute shooting, you know, 38% from three on three attempts. This is what he did with the Clippers, too, and he was such a glue guy for that team. Blake Griffin goes down. He can seamlessly play the four. He slides back down to the three. He's definitely a guy that, that you want on your team against Golden State, and it's just it's impressive to, to see the way they assembled this roster after giving up so many players for Chris Paul. Daryl Morey definitely did a great job doing that. He finally got you know his Chris Paul to, to pair with James Harden. He's got his two megastars. You know, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about what this team is, so, how this team is so different this season than they were last season, but you kind of really just spoke to that and spoke to a lot of the, the roster changes and 
them kind of making up for some of the, I don't want to say mistakes, but shortcomings they had on last season's roster. Another guy, we haven't mentioned his name yet, I don't think, who's just been completely awesome for them. Doesn't need the ball for any plays. Great rebounder. Not a great rim protector, but he's blocking more shots, I think, this season than he has in the past, and he looks like he's a little bit tougher. Clint Capella has really emerged as a very good center for this team. He's still only 23 years old, which is just amazing. Uh, How do you feel about Clint Capella? Do you think he's a guy who really, you know, is going to be on the court for this team in crunch time minutes, or do you think he's kind of a big who gets phased out a little bit when they play smaller? I I think it'll somewhat depend on on who they are playing. Uh, But when when they're playing smaller, even when they're playing smaller, and the same thing goes with Golden State that a lot of people lose track of, is that uh, when you have all this three-point shooting and all this space and pace, uh, the, 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 all of that is really to open up the rim. Uh, the rim is still more efficient than, than the, than the three-point line. Um, and to have that guy, like Clint Capella, he's got long arms. He's got soft hands. He is the oop to James Harden's alley. Um, you, you, you cannot watch a game without them having two or three sensational alley-oop combinations. And then uh, I think, what is, I was looking at this, he, uh, he, he really, I think he really has gone under the radar, like you're saying. You know, his player efficiency rating, you know what it is? I have a uh, basketball reference up, but I do not. What is it? 26.9. Jeez. That's the, the third best player on the team has a 23.69 uh, player efficiency rating. That that makes him, uh, oh, he's ranked sixth in the NBA. Wow. You know, and he doesn't have the same usage, but that gives you an idea of, of the level he's playing on. Uh, and he's actually, it's kind of, I wonder why he's not more in, maybe it's because he doesn't have the same usage. Uh, he's, he's 11th in wind shares. Mm. Uh, I don't know why he doesn't get more most improved player time. I, I think he, he probably deserves some. And, you know, he, 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 he's a tool that, that Paul and Harden use. And along the same lines, and this is another thing that I think has made Houston so incredible is, uh, you know, like you've got the Harden Capella pick and roll that that's so effective when Harden's running the team, and then it's like there's this whole other kind of dangerous that Chris Capella and Nene, or that um Chris Paul and Nene, I don't know who Chris Capella is. <laughs> Maybe they got married. Um, <laughs> But but <laughs> Chris Paul and Nene, you know, it's it's like with with, with James Harden with Harden and and, and uh, uh, Capella, it's like this finesse sort of uh, thing where Harden is just flipping up these things, these passes that are. Uh, completely uncatchable by anybody else and and Capella is just reaching those arms out and he's just flushing them home and and then and defenses are, are are just used to playing on their heels and they're getting rolled back to the basket 
and then then Chris Paul comes in with this kind of yo-yo dribbling he does where he's like uh, zigzagging all over the place and just completely disrupting defenses. And then he uh, throws this bounce pass to Nene who just powers into the rim and just, you know, he, he's, you know, rim running and just destroying defenses. And so it's like these two different sorts of uh, rhythms that teams have to deal with. And as soon as they start to get used to one, the other comes in and it's just, it's so hard to adjust. It's two entirely different kinds of amazing offense that you have to deal with in the same game. Uh, but yeah, Capella is huge for that team. And another guy we haven't mentioned two, a couple of other guys are Trevor Ariza and Eric Gordon. Uh, there's there, they don't have, um, as many all-star caliber players as, as Golden State does, but they have this kind of depth. They're ta- you're talking about uh, Eric Gordon, Sixth Man of the Year, and then after that you've got guys like Nene and Mbamute and PJ Tucker. You know these are all guys that could start for a lot of teams. So they almost have like two starting fives that they roll out there from game to game. Right. I think that's what makes them so impressive and so tough to really guard against. I love seeing Eric Gordon play meaningful basketball for for one of the better teams in the league. I mean, he's also another guy who can create offense for them if you're giving Harden or Paul a breather. It's great to see him, again, just be a part of meaningful basketball. He's not even shooting the ball that well this year. I think he's only at like 32% from three on almost 10 attempts per game. I'm going to imagine that that's going to go up at some point sooner than later. But th- yeah, that's definitely going to re- regress up. And the other thing, but but where, what what has another aspect of uh, the Warriors that maybe hasn't gotten as much attention is Eric Gordon. He just it's like he got five years younger this offseason. Have you have you watched him play much, or have you gotten a chance? Yeah, he looks great physically. He looks great. He looks quick. He looks strong. I mean, he, you had to you were worried. When the Rockets gave out contracts to Gordon and Ryan Anderson a couple summers ago that this just wasn't going to work out, that these guys are injury-prone, haven't lived up to contracts, and they both got paid. And, I mean, Ryan Anderson is what he is, but Eric Gordon, like I said, it's it's great to watch this guy have almost a rejuvenation, you know, 10 years in. He's, uh, let me, I'm just looking this up on Basketball Reference to make sure I'm giving you the right numbers. Yeah, he already has more dunks this year than he had all of last season. Awesome. He had he had six dunks all of last season. He already has seven this year. Incredible. And I mean he's I think he's a plus eighteen on off or something on this team. He's just he's had such a good impact on the team. He had a great impact last season and I was a little worried when they, they went and they added Lou Williams, how that was gonna mess with Eric Gordon, but everything's been great. He he's playing great on this team and I think he's he's honestly one of the more important players, but you know, we, we talk about their depth compared to the Warriors' depth, and, you know, you get beyond Harden, you get beyond Paul, and all these guys are just so important. <laughs> this is one of those things where Daryl Morey is just playing chess while everybody's playing chess. You brought up Lou Williams, all right. Lou Williams was part of the trade for Chris Paul, right? Um, he got Lou Williams for Corey Brewer. That was the main contract he gave up to get Lou Williams. Right. He turned Corey Brewer into Chris Paul. Amazing. That's not fair. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I mean, look, we've been waiting a while for Daryl Morey to do this, and he did it. And it's just, it's crazy that that it's the Warriors League. It's crazier to me that we're talking about a team that can legitimately give them a run. I think that this this Rockets team, I mean, look, say what you will about the Cavs over the last few years. I don't know how much of them winning that championship had to do with Steph being hurt. Obviously, the Warriors had Kevin Durant, and it just makes the NBA, you know, the, a monopoly for the Warriors. It's not competitive anymore, and legit. I mean, we're talking about a team that can give them a run for their money now. Oh, yeah, and it's got to, you know, like some fans were all like, ah, oh, how can I get into this season when it's it's this bad? You know, it, it, we already know who's going to win. And then it's like the, 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 the guy they have to cheer for is the most hated guy in basketball, <laughs> James Harden. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't make it any easier, but they're a lot of fun to watch. Kelly, I wanted to talk to you about the Rockets. I also wanted to talk to you about the Spurs, who I think this week are, you know, another one of the, the teams worthy of discussion. They finally get they finally get Kawhi Leonard back, but they're already nineteen and nine. They're they're having a very good season. Kelly, how were the Spurs able to play so well up to this point without even having Kawhi on the team? You're asking a question that people ask every year. You know, how many times have we written off San Antonio over the last, you know, like they've been winning 50 games a year for 25 seasons. And, <laughs> and we, for the last 10 of them, we've been like, oh, they, they can't do it again this year. And... I think there's there's one. They are just top to bottom organizationally the most, the best run organization in North American professional sports. They have, uh, you know, their ownership is just brilliant, and he stays out of the way, but he hires the right people. Their general manager and their coach have such a good working relationship that they uh, they're just in harmony on who to choose and everything like that and then of course you know Greg Popovich my Mount Rushmore of NBA uh, coaches is probably the same as everyone's with uh, Pat Riley uh, Phil Jackson Red Auerbach and Greg Popovich. I mean, that's like the most obvious, inarguable count, uh, Mount Rushmore there is, sure. other than the actual out Mount Rushmore. You're like, who, who else even belongs in that conversation? Um, so, and then they, it's, but it doesn't stop there. They have such great player development and um, everything. Any there, there's, I, I know a guy that. Uh, used to do uh, the film uh, for them and how they involved those guys and all the, you know, the, 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 the peons that work for the team, so to speak. Like every single person, every everything they do from, from top to bottom is just done with such class, such dignity, um, such precision and thought that if any team could could take a blow like losing Harden for a quarter of the season and still be one of the best teams in basketball, it would be the Spurs. Because they're just very equipped to, to handle adversity. And I was reading an article where there there is, because of that, there's just this integrity that the team plays with. 
that they were not going to feel sorry for themselves. They weren't just going to say, oh, we lost Kawhi. How are we going to play? They played with attitude. Marcus Aldridge stepped up. He's, he's on the outskirts of the MVP discussion because of you know the way he stepped up. And this is a guy that everybody was saying was untradeable. Right. Before the season. Like it's just it's just so well run. That that's how the Spurs did it. There's not one answer. It's the it's the package that makes the Spurs what they are. It's just incredible though. I mean, you look at the roster and you look at some of these guys that are getting big minutes and I mean Manu and Tony Parker both look like they're pretty much at the end of the road, not shooting great. I mean Tony Parker's been been decent, you know, when he's been healthy. Um, but I mean, besides that, you know, you get Rudy Gay, who's playing a little bit better, still kind of shooting the way Rudy Gay shoots a little bit better from the field, still awful from three, not taking as many threes. I mean, I guess that's pops influence. You're getting big minutes. Kyle Anderson's almost at 30 minutes a game. I just, I don't know how to make sense of it. And again, you know, I, I haven't gotten to see them enough on, on TV. I haven't gotten to watch them play. I just, I don't, I don't know how it's happening. It looks like, you know, defensively, there's still a top five defense in the league this year. So I'm sure that that's kind of alleviated a lot of the problems. I just now I'm worried, worried for the NBA that they get Kawhi Leonard back, who, I don't know, top three to five at worst player in the league, added on top of this team. Like, what what do you think the Spurs team ceiling is this year? You know, part of us talking about them falling off, not being great is they lose these role players. They lose a Jonathan Simmons. They lose a Dwayne Dedman. You know, they lose Boban a couple years ago and they keep coming up with guys that, that can fill those roles. We're seeing that that's the case so far this year. Is that going to continue again? What is this team ceiling this year? Uh, I, I, I think that they are a second round team. Um, they just don't have the firepower to, to stay with the Thunder, or with the, um, the sorry, got the Thunder game in the background. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> and, and trust me, they don't have to worry about the Thunder. Um, <laughs> they, uh, the, uh, they, they're not, they don't have the, the firepower to compete with the Rockets or, or the Warriors. Uh, but they're, 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 you know, right up there with anybody else in the West. But unfortunately, they're going to have to go through the Wackets for the Warriors to get, you know, in the second round. Um, yeah, I know they lost. They, they beat the, the Rockets last year, but last year they were a better team than the Rockets in the regular season. <laughs> the Rockets the Rockets have passed them up, and with or without Kawhi. That, that is what I make of it, too. I, I see them having that second-round ceiling. I mean, look, like you said, we've counted them out so many times, so when they wind up uh, beating the Rockets and beating the Warriors and getting to the finals, I guess I won't be that surprised, but I, I just don't don't see it happening from them this year. Still, amazing effort out of them. It's so consistent, you know, everything about them. Organizationally, we know that they're amazing. They come in without Kawhi, and they're 19-9, and and just as good as anybody outside of, you know, those two top teams, so... Shout out to them for being that good. I want to talk very, very briefly about the other team that you Freudian slipped in there. Uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder have been another team that we just can't stop gawking at. You know, with, with big names comes big responsibility and big speculation. You talked earlier about how kind of it, it was a clunky fit, how this wasn't necessarily an organic coming together of players who wanted to play together and, and try and win something bigger. As much as, you know, this was really just like, 
Russ is in Oklahoma City. Sam Presti in the Thunder front office wants to keep him in Oklahoma City. So they went out and they kind of capitalized. I don't know if you could even call it buying low anymore at this point after seeing early returns on the season. But they go out, they get another superstar in Paul George, and they get Carmelo Anthony on the cheap after the Knicks, you know, kind of drove down his value, which is what it looked like at the time. Tell me what you're seeing out of the Thunder this year. Do you think that there, there's a big swing for them coming? Or do you think that this is going to be a team that kind of just won't be able to hit those heights that some people kind of set for them before the season started? Okay, well, there's, I, I think, just off the cuff, there's three things that I think. Um, the first is that uh, there's a certain amount of luck involved, uh, whether it's good luck or bad luck. And it's not something we like to talk about, but it's it's true. Um, you know, so open three-point shooting on defense, for instance, you know. There's there's really just statistically it's it's consistent that uh, you teams that defend open three point shots better than other teams there's really you know it's it's by definition an open three point shot you're not doing anything differently you're not a better open three point shot defender you're just a luckier one and uh, you know like some of these game winning shots that. Uh, Russell Westbrook had go in last year that were, he's not a great shooter, but he's making these great shots. Well, you know, there's a certain amount of regression that happens on these sorts of things. And if you look at teams that are super, super clutch one year, most of the time there's a little calibrating that goes on the, the next year. And uh, an example I use is, uh, like, in statistics, if you take a, a quarter, like, you know, if you take a statistic class, sometimes a teacher, they'll say, okay, go home, flip a quarter a thousand times. You ever heard this? Yeah. Yeah, you, you go home and you take a quarter and you flip it a thousand times and you write the results down. And they'll take the sheet of paper and they'll be able to tell whether you really flipped a quarter or not. Did you know that? I actually... Yeah, because what happens is if you're faking it, you'll write heads, heads, tails, 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 heads, tails, heads, tails, 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 heads, and you'll kind of end up intuitive. Like your 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 thinking will be like, oh, better not go beyond three or four because it'll look like I faked it. But the odds of getting seven heads in a row is two, four, eight, sixteen, thirty-two, sixty-four, a hundred, one in one hundred and twenty-eight. So if you flip it a thousand times, at least once you're going to have seven heads or seven tails in a row. But most people won't fake that. They won't fake seven or eight or even nine heads or tails in a row. But if you do that, um, if you if you if you just if you actually flip the quarter, you'll get a result like that. But you're still going to end up with somewhere around 50% uh, uh, at the end. So what that means is there's some sort of compensation that's coming out later or earlier. Do you follow me? Yes. Uh, Maybe you won't get seven tails in a row and then seven heads in a row. But those seven heads are going to make up for itself later on. Well, luck ends up breaking evenly over time regardless of what team you are. You know, the Lakers aren't luckier and the Thunder aren't luckier. So last year they had some good luck. This year they're having some bad luck. That that's one thing, you know. 
Jimmy Butler hit, you know, the, 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 the Timberwolves had a couple of like monster, you know, clutch wins against them. And they've just had some really bad breaks late game situation. That's more or less, some of it is just a reversal of last season. Uh, some of it is, uh, are three superstars really not knowing how to play together. And I, I'd say other than Paul George, who played off the ball quite a bit with George Hill, they've never really learned to play off the ball when like Russell Westbrook played with Kevin Durant. But Durant did more of the adjusting. Durant played off the ball. Uh, Westbrook never really learned to. And Carmelo Anthony doesn't know what it means to play off the ball at all unless he's playing against backup European teams <laughs> in the Olympics, you know, which, which is the most ridiculous thing to me. His, he was coming off the bench in the Olympics playing against backups of non-NBA talent, you know. So it's like I really don't care that he was that great playing against backups and with a shorter three-point line, you know, besides. Um, so, uh, and, and asking, a, what is he, 34? I forget. You're a Knicks fan. <laughs> Melo is uh, 33 years old. 33, yeah. He, he's 33 going on 36. Year 15 in the NBA. Yeah, he, he's an old 33. Right. No, that, that's really funny that you bring that up, the idea that we're just going to get Olympic mellow because he's playing with other big-name players, despite there not being a Chris Paul or a LeBron James or a Darren Williams or whoever he's played with in the Olympics that's kind of set him up for all these open 19-foot three-point shots. All of a sudden, you're going to get that guy in the NBA against the Warriors and the Spurs and, and every tough defensive team. Yeah, that's really a great point. These guys have not played off the ball at all. And I, I really love you bringing up the Russell Westbrook-Kevin Durant thing, which is why... I like Kevin Durant. I've always liked Kevin Durant. I love his game. He's so efficient for a guy who shoots as much as he does, the difficulty of the shots he takes. But he catered to Russ, and you would see Russ take over games down the stretch where it's like, I mean, you have one of the most efficient volume scores in the NBA. Maybe you should run some plays for him in the fourth quarter. People were surprised he wanted to be a part of, you know, a passing culture where guys shoot open threes. It just still drives me crazy. You know, and and I think, actually, it's... I never, just now, this is just a, a thought that just occurred to me, and uh, you feel free to blow it up if you want. <laughs> but, it, but it is an interesting idea that Carmelo Anthony, or, or Kevin Durant is what Carmelo Anthony could have been if he had the right mindset. I don't know if he's as gifted, but maybe. I mean, similar skill set, similar strengths. If he had the right mindset, sure. If you want, please uh, expound on that. Well, yeah, just in terms of they are both such incredible scorers uh, from the three. They're both, you know, uh, Carmelo is more of a, you know, he's stronger than Durant. Right. But he's not quite as long and tall. But they're both, like, really huge for a three. But and, and, and have so many different ways they can score the ball. But Durant, that was like the beginning of his skill set. And he just, every year he builds on that to, you know, adding defense and adding passing and adding these other aspects to his game. Carmelo Anthony just kept 
doubling down on that. Uh, and so he never developed, he never fleshed out the other aspects of his game the way Durant did. So all he ever was was this ISO support uh, that ended up being a, a kind of player that just is, is self-defeating. And I, I don't know if you if you read it. I wrote this article called the the Carmelo Effect for Fanrag, where I looked at players that had uh, a similar field goal percentage or a similar true shooting percentage, assist percentage, and rebound percentage to Car to Carmelo for his career. And it's fascinating if you look at it. Uh, basically. There's only a few exceptions where a player that, uh, if I remember right, it was a true shooting percentage below 35%, a usage percentage over 25%, a rebound percentage below 12%, and an assist percentage below 20%. Right. Uh, players like that, that, that are just these high-volume scores, not necessarily that efficient, don't offer that much else. Just to give quick, just to give quick examples. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I mean, you got Andrew Wiggins, Devin Booker, Demar Derozan. You know, Andrea Bargnani did it a few years ago. Brooke Lopez. This is the style of play that those stats qualify for. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Guys like that. Guys like that. There are a few exceptions. Like Michael Jordan did it in his last year and won a championship. Uh. There are a couple of examples of guys that, you know, like they did, James Worthy did it one year, like in his second or third to last season, and he won rings before that. But, you know, Kevin Durant did it in his rookie season. But, but the exceptions where people have won rings and done that are that season didn't really typify who they were as a player. It was either at the end of their career or at the beginning of their career you know, at the end of their career, they just weren't the same guy anymore. At the beginning of their career, they hadn't developed into who they really became yet. Um, other than, than, you know, a few exceptions, uh, the, the only one that ever won a, a ring in the year he did that was Michael Jordan in his last year with the Bulls. And... Uh, there are like a few other guys that have one rings at, where, where they did it at any point in their career. There's like three or four other guys that have ever won a ring. Uh, the vast majority of players that have done that either never make it to the play, don't make it to the playoffs or get knocked out of the first round of the playoffs. Like it is really a bad way to win playoff. Uh, if you, if you want to advance in the playoffs to have that kind of guy. Because you're just having a guy that eats up possessions and doesn't add much to the to, to the winning formula. And, you know, like, it's true with DeRozan. It's true with Brooke Lopez. It's true with Carmelo. It was true with Dominique Wilkins back in the day. You know, like, if you go back in history and you look at these guys that, you know, this sort of thing to find who they were as a player, they they... they did some spectacular things, but they did not play for spectacular teams. And so people will look at Carmelo and they'll say, oh, look at who he has around him. But I think a lot of times, you know, like the really great players, they take the guys around them and they make them better. 
and, and they make them the players around them. And, you know, to go back to, to James Harden, he, you know, this is like fascinating. In the last two years, in spite of the numbers he's put up and, and, and the, the success the Rockets have had, Chris Paul is the only guy he's played with that's ever made an all-star game. Uh, he's played 11 guy, played 11 games with a guy that's made an all-star game, and he's, he's doing what he's doing because he also, you know, and we talked about, you know, like Eric Gordon, that was a, a contract that got criticized. Well, he's made Eric Gordon better. Ryan Anderson is a contract that got criticized. He made that guy better. You know, PJ T- Luke Mbamute came on for a minimum contract for because nobody else was willing to pay him more than the minimum. You know, and he's helped make him better. He's helped make PJ Tucker better. Just to that All Star so, point, I'm I'm sorry, Kelly. Just to that All Star point, at Dwight Howard. Yeah, no, no. In the last two. Oh, years, the last two the last years. Year. I'm sorry. I thought you said it as a rocket. Before that there was there was Dwight Howard, and Dwight Howard's the only other All Star he's played with in his entire tenure in Houston. Correct. Uh, and I think uh, he had like 188 games with Howard. And they were very good. Um, <laughs> what's that? I said, and they were very good. The Rockets were very good in yeah. that span. Yeah, but in three seasons, or was it three seasons? Yeah, three seasons, 188 games. So Howard missed a lot of those games too. Right. Um, you know, he missed about 60 of those games. I mean... You look at the supporting cast that, that, that Harden took to the Western Conference Finals and tell me that it's any better than some of the rosters that, that Carmelo Anthony has played with. Josh Smith, out of the league. Uh, Papa Nikolaou. You, you even remember that he exists? Nick's drafted him, so I do, but I'm sure nobody else does. <laughs> uh, who else was on that team? Oh, your old buddy. Um, Mr. Oh, what is his name? The point guard. Was Paolo, was Paolo Prigioni on that team? Yeah, Prigioni, yeah. <laughs> you know, Jason Terry, he's another one. You know, they, he had a couple of senior citizens he was playing with. Right. Uh, Josh Smith of uh, three-point shooting fame. He went nuts. Uh, <laughs> you know, Josh Smith and Dwight Howard, they had that one game in the finals where they were, you know, like, and, and and James Harden was sitting on the bench, and so everybody's like, ah, you know, right. acting like acting like Harden was just riding this great roster to the finals <laughs> or something. Yeah. Uh, but but you know, and and you see, you know, like the, if you look at uh, the the team that uh, LeBron James took to the Eastern Conference Finals uh, for the first time when he was you know when he was young, I mean that team sucked. That team sucked so badly that it actually made sounds. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're talking... Sucking sounds. We're talking Larry Hughes and Sasha Pavlovich. Anthony Parker might have been the second best player on that team. Not not very yeah. good. Like, I stacked that up against the Smush Parker Lakers. And if you took Kobe and LeBron out of the picture, the, the, the Lakers not named Kobe actually had almost twice as many win shares as the uh, Cavaliers not named LeBron. Wow. Like, like it was like the, the Smush Parker Lakers were significantly better than the Cavaliers that, that LeBron took to the finals. So my point being, if you're a really great player, you can take a, a roster 
that that sucks so bad it's hard to open the doors to the stadium. Uh, and, and and you can win with that. Uh, but when when it when it's somebody that eats possessions and doesn't offer much else, uh, it's just it's hard to win with that kind of thing. Sure. Uh, but he does pretty things. He does pretty things. And and we like we like you know, it's it's like looking at a car. I thought of this analogy. It's like looking at a car with a really super fancy hubcaps. Uh, you know, they'd like do the backwards rolling and stuff like that. It's like if you took one of those and put one on a 1987 Ford Escort. <laughs> and you said, Woo, look at those rims, you know, and you're like, I got to get that car, though. You know, he, 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 he has, uh, he, that's what he is. He, he's all flash and no substance. Wow. Strong, strong words. Um, no, so then, look. <laughs> I have all the Mel's. Mel's dance hate me. Just the record. Because that's how I feel. Look, I mean, I, I rooted for the guy for a long time. Knicks fan. I don't really want to go in on Mellow too hard, especially as a Nick. I mean, it's just the type of thing that I, I complained about on my podcast for, for quite a while. The Knicks, the Knicks and Mellow was really a chicken or egg thing where you'd look at the roster and say, well, they're not building around him well. And at the same time, it's like, well, he's not really that easy to build a winner around. So it, w- it was kind of tough not, not to give the Knicks any credit for anything in terms of building around him. Phil Jackson never should have re-signed him. That, that was a Phil Jackson problem, not a Carmelo problem. On top of it, you give him a no-trade clause, which was just stupid, stupid, stupid. But I don't want to talk about the Knicks. They're not the relevant team, at least not right, <laughs> at least not right now. I mean, how much of this Thunder struggle are you kind of putting on Mello here? Where, where, where does Russell Westbrook fall into this? I, I just, I look at this team and I think... Yeah. I'm I, sorry, yeah, I, I got distracted by my Mello rant. <laughs> so it's not all on Mello, and it's actually, I don't even know if the majority of it's on Mello. It's part of it's on Mello, part of it's on Westbrook. I'm looking right now, he's got two points, one of seven. And he's got 12 rebounds and nine assists. So it's not like Westbrook can't score, but he's never been an efficient scorer either. And I think uh, he is, of all the players that are scoring at least 20 points per game, he has the lowest free shooting percentage. Um, but what he does well is he converts his uh, high usage into a high assist rate. Like, like he collapses defense and he's good at kicking out and finding open shooters. But, you know, Mello is not taking the shots and just firing them up. Paul George, that's not really the – he's not a great catch-and-shoot player in terms of just delivering the ball. They're not – the ball doesn't pop when the Thunder play. Um, they have the fewest passes in the league. They have the – I think they have the fewest assists or close to it. They, they, they just they, – there's no ball movement. It's – and what ball movement there is, is a lot of it's just to kind of reset the offense and get the ball back into the hands of the same guys. Um, so I think some of it's got to be on Donovan. I think some of it's on chemistry. I think some of it's on Westbrook. I think some of it's on Anthony. And then there's also, uh, they gave up a lot more than we thought to get Paul George and Carmelo Anthony on there. Now I think you look at you know, Enos Cantor has been. I mean, he's been pretty good for the Knicks, right? 
Yeah, I guess. I, I mean, guess. he he's doing Ennis Cantor things. He's a good offensive rebounder. I mean, he's good on the glass on both sides. He's a good interior scorer. Still not much of a defender, but uh, he's a contributor. He's a contributor and he's yeah. depth, for sure. And Doug, Doug McDermott has been one of the more pleasant surprises on the Knicks this year. He's a floor spacer. No great shakes on defense, but, uh, you know, offensively, th- that that's kind of my thing with this Thunder team is you build around Russ kind of the way the Bulls were building around Derrick Rose a few years ago where you want to put defense and shooting around him because you're not going to ask anybody else to really create the offense. You're not going to ask Russ to really defend. You're going to want these guys that kind of make up the gaps for, for you know, your, your high-usage point guard who's really more focused on offense than the other side of the ball. And I was kind of worried with the construction of this roster around Russ that they were kind of getting away from that a little bit. Yeah, and they, they just they have so little after that big three, especially in terms of scoring. Um, like, do you, I don't even know. I get, well, there's, Adams is having a great season. And God, God only, I mean, oh, if, if, if Adams goes down, they might not make the playoffs, to be honest. Um, so, how look at, I just looked this up. Okay, so you got Westbrook's averaging 23 points. Paul George is averaging 20.6. Mel is averaging 18. All right, so that's good. Then the next next best scorer is Stephen Adams. He's averaging 13 points. Next best, Jeremy Grant, 7.8. I have four guys scoring in double digits, and and that 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 you know like what you're touching on. They just they don't have any depth. They gave up all of their depth to get uh, to get those two guys, and those two guys are not per, they're not they're not particularly efficient. Paul George is the only one of the three that's not inefficient. I mean, Westbrook and Anthony are inefficient. Paul George's average efficiency, right? Uh, and they're all they're all below where they're typically at. Okay, so like Paul George, his true shooting percentage is fifty four point six. Mel is fifteen point three. Russell Westbrook's is forty nine point two. When you have like your 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 three main guys, their true shooting percentage is around fifty two percent combined. And they're using up, you know, at least half your possessions. Well, of course your offense is going to suck. Um, where where I like the Thunder is I, I really like the Roberson and George at the wings defensively, and then Adams backing them up. Um, and and I think if if Mello could just take us any 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 at all sense of hubris or of humility and just go, you know, like if he just did what Dwayne Wade did and look in the mirror and say, you know, I'm just not the same guy anymore. And if he came off the bench and then you had, um, uh, Patterson start at the four. And then you had Roberson, PG, Patterson and Adams as your two, three, four, and five. Like that would be, that would be a tight defensive team. Yeah. And then have Mello featured as your sixth man. So then you have some like real point creating. And then it doesn't matter as much that he's a ball stopper. You know, he, he can he could just like he got guys that are not 
great defenders too that can really make a difference off the bench. You know, like Ganter. Uh, you know, like you, you never want him starting because he can't he can't even defend a paper bag. <laughs> but you, you you know you got, any, but nobody no what reserve is going to defend him? You know, and if, so if Mel is like, he he'd be an incredible six man type player. But he's just not a starter, and he's taking away touches from more efficient scorers. And I, I think if you have Patterson, it, it's going to make it a little easier for Mel, for, for Westbrook because he's only going to have to worry about sharing the ball with one guy instead of two. He can fall more into his natural rhythm. I think he's trying so hard to 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 accommodate Westbrook and or to accommodate Paul George and, and Anthony that it, it's hurting him. I think that's why his efficiency is down a little bit. So, you know, Patterson's not a great player, but he can, you know, he can catch and shoot. And, you know, yeah, I think if they do that, they could maybe salvage their season, but it seems like Mel is still not open to the idea. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I've had that thought too when it comes to Patrick Patterson, where obviously defensively he's, you know, much better at Mellow, especially guarding bigger guys. I mean, probably better guarding the perimeter than Mello is these days too. On his career, I mean, he's a beyond efficient, you know, knockdown three-point shooter, not a guy that takes away from the offense. Again, the, these are kind of the pieces that it feels like you need to put around Russell Westbrook if you want to make him successful and maximize what he could do. And, you know, I just didn't really see the Mello fit. I think he's been a little bit worse than I was expecting him to be. In terms of him being able to accept a different role, I mean, I just... I don't think anybody's going to see that. He, he even he left it off when the question was asked to him last week if he'd consider coming off the bench. He's already going to, to Instagram and, you know, kind of posting his, his sub posts about everybody, you know, laughing at him and he's going to get the last laugh. I, I mean, I don't think those were the words that were used, but things along those lines where it's just like this dude doesn't have the awareness that, that you would like to see a veteran player like him have, especially in an opportunity playing with other talented players, but... I, I can't write them off yet. I just, I remain skeptical of them. I was skeptical of them heading into the season when people were talking about them as a top four team in the Western Conference. I thought even that was kind of getting a little, you know, carried away. But a lot of talent, you know, especially at, at the top of this roster. We'll see if it shakes out. I am taking the under. Where, where do you see them? If you had to make a prediction today, December 13th, how many wins does this team finish with? 43. That's over 500, not by much. Yeah, I think they're 43. There'll be a seven or eight seed, and I think they'll get bounced pretty easily in the first round. If they're a seven or eight, that means they're likely drawing Houston or Golden State in the first round. And uh, defensively, I, I don't think that that would work out too well for that team. Yeah, yeah, I think. Uh, well, what do you mean defensive? I think their defense is good for. Like, they have a good defense, but I think offensively, I don't see them being able to score well against either. And people are going to say, oh, well, what about the game that Oklahoma City destroyed Golden State? Oh, Golden State was, you know, uh, at the end of a, of a road trip, and, you know, uh, Kevin Durant was playing hurt. And it, it was like, you know, it, it was a nothing game for the Warriors. Uh so I, I, I don't think I don't think you can judge much by that. 
Right. And no, you, you're right to say that defense is this team's strong point, if anything is. I just don't see how a team with Carmelo and Russell Westbrook on the court together for, you know, 30 to 35 to 40 minutes can hang with the team that's going to fire up threes, you know, quite like Houston and Golden State will. But we'll, we'll see. Hopefully we'll be fortunate enough to see that's it. That's fair. That's fair. Ho- hopefully we'll be fortunate enough to see it. You know, again, Russell Westbrook's still riding the high of last season. I, I actually, I, I'm trying to think which podcast I was listening to, but somebody was questioning, it might have been Zach Lowe and Kevin Arnovitz from last week, questioning if anybody on this Thunder team is an all-star this year, and I can't imagine Russ doesn't make the all-star team after being, you know, everybody's favorite player and beating out James Harden's incredible season last season. It just, it'd be quite a quite a drop to see him not even make the all-star team. Yeah, it, it, even in the West, it's hard to see Russell Westbrook missing the all-star game. For sure. All right. I feel like- you know, the other, just one last thing real quick on this. I feel like Paul George is the one that's really suffered from this. Uh, he, 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 is, he is so much better than he's had a chance to show there. I mean, do, do you think that he turns it around at some point? Or do you just think that this is a situation that just does not maximize what he does well? Because I, I agree with you that he's kind of the one taking the biggest beating of anybody. Yeah, and you know, there just there's some. I, I don't. I won't, won't even call them rumblings, but there's some speculation of him going to the to the Sixers next year. And I keep thinking about that. I just keep mulling this over in my head, and I just keep. I think about a starting five with Simmons, uh, George Covington. Uh, Stark and, and Embiid. And just like how incredible that would be on both ends of the ball and how, you know, big it would be. And without, with, with still as much skill as any team. Like that would just, that would be re- a ridiculous team to contend with. It would. It'd be fun. I'm here for all the Paul George speculation. I had a Carter Rodriguez on with me last week talking about Paul George to Cleveland for the for the Nets pick. I guess that that's kind of the last question I'm going to ask you here. Do Do you think that the Thunder team even makes it through the season? That's that's an interesting question. Uh, yeah they've 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 been known to make some surprises haven't they i mean look they win they win 43 games and they're a bottom seed in the playoffs and they're losing paul george and potentially mellow at the end of this year if that's where it looks like they're heading i mean why not sell yeah yeah uh yeah if they don't get it together yeah that's an interesting that's an interesting question (laughs) Uh, something to think about it is it is uh, huh. yeah, yeah, that'll be that'll be something to keep an eye on. I don't know how he gets to Cleveland. I don't know what they give give up for him, but well, I mean, they they could be a team that could do it. Look, they they have the Nets pick, and it could be the type of thing where you know you flip that for a guy like Paul George. Maybe that's something enticing enough to keep LeBron yeah, around. This salary, how do they make the salary work? Right, salary wise, I mean, look, I I don't think you're going to start talking about Kevin Love. Maybe maybe you talk Tristan Thompson with Kevin Love playing more at the five. You still have Amon Shumpert's contract. Uh, I mean, I don't know that that Oklahoma City would be just looking for a contract to shed. Isaiah Thomas could be thrown into this too. I I don't know either, but I mean, they they do have a lot of uh, 
bigger contracts that they could potentially pile up together to to equal Paul George. Not not sure that we would see it, but if anybody you know if anybody would be looking to make a trade like that, I would not be surprised to see it be Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can see Cleveland wanting it. I just can't see them. Like they obviously they have the big enough contracts, but uh, one that fits with with. Uh, something the Thunder want. Like, I don't see Tr- Tristan Thompson, like a Thompson-Adams backcourt, that's going to crowd the, the lane too much. I don't know why why the Thunder would want to do that. Unless it's with, maybe if there's a three-team trade or something. I don't right, know. right. Me neither. Fun to speculate, plenty to speculate about. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of NBA season left. It's hard to believe it's still just early December. It feels like the season's been going on forever. But, Kelly, th- this was a blast. You brought so much good information Really glad to get your insight on, you know, the these Texas teams, especially the Rockets, who, look, it's a it's a Warriors league, but hey, may, maybe it's really not. Maybe, maybe the Rockets can really give them a run this year. At least it'll be fun to watch, no matter what happens. That's all you could ask for. That's all I could ask for, at least. Kelly, I want to thank you so much for coming on the pod. Again, guys, make sure you're reading everything he does, and it's kind of hard to miss him considering all the places that Kelly's writing. Again, he's at FanReg, he's at Bleacher Report. Dime Up Rocks, B-Ball Breakdown. Make sure you're following him on Twitter. If not for the basketball, for the puns, the puns are excellent. You dropped a great pun on me before we started recording. Follow Kelly on Twitter at Kelly Scaletta. That's Scaletta, S-C-A-L-E-T-T-A. Kelly, before we hang up, you got anything you want to plug or any shout-outs you want to give? Uh, no, no uh, I'll just say there's, uh, I don't know if it's dropping today or tomorrow, but there's an article on Dime that'll be coming up that I wrote that includes a lot of what we talked about with the, with the Paul Harden tandem. That is uh, pretty interesting. Awesome. I'm looking forward to reading that guys. Make sure you check that out. Make sure you check out that mellow effect piece that went up on fan rag last week. That was really insightful too. Kelly. Thanks again, man. Hey, no problem. Long range, I've been killing on the blacktop. AI cross, sunning rappers like a backdrop. Clock ticking, I'm the one, take the last shot. Couple chairs for him, got your shorty like a mascot. Never ask, I'm just feeling what that ass got. These half nuts at my neck like an ascot. Uh, 100 grand up in my dash hop with more K's than Dash got. You living in a glass box, I'm on point, Steve Nash. Fox, destroy your track like I'm Hancock. Now I'm pulling tops down like a rag top.